As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today it's MLS Cup Day. We've got a wild final game to review. Congratulations to NYCFC for emerging victorious on the road at Portland in a penalty shootout. With me today, of sorts, since he is across the country, but still with me in spirit, to make sense of everything we just saw, and maybe some stuff we didn't, is our temporary man in Portland. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, good to have you on the show. How soaked are you? Have you managed to avoid the rain? Yes, I have managed to avoid the rain. Uh, I was underneath an overhang uh, to, to actually watch this game, which was great because that means I didn't get nearly as wet as a bunch of the players out on the field did. But uh, I am very cold, Taylor. I'm not built for this. Really? What is this 45 degree weather? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> my hands and feet, my feet are numb right now. My hands are, I think, are, are one step closer to thawing out. But uh, no, I, I've been chilly, man. But it's all worth it to have been here to see this game, to be TSS's Portland correspondent. Mm-hmm. It has been a blast. And this game was insane. So we're gonna, I want to talk about what it was like to be there, the atmosphere, the buildup, the delay. Uh, but first, we should just start with congrats to NYCFC for the win. Yes. I think they look like the better team overall, and they proved their medal in the shootout. Joe, you've watched a lot of MLS this season, certainly more than I. Are they worthy champions in your eyes? Yes, 100% yes. I don't know that the playoffs were quite up to their standard, to be totally honest, in terms of the on-field play and the, the consistency or lack thereof. But a lot of that stuff just happens when you get to the postseason. You run up against weird things like the Philadelphia Union, minus 11 players, but they're still playing and executing their game plan well. Jim Curtin had that team executing in the Eastern Conference Final. You run into Atlanta United in round one. That is always a little bit of a wild card. You have to play against the New England Revolution in, in the second round. So you run into these challenges, and NYCFC have had challenges, just as the Portland Timbers have had challenges. But on the whole, when you look at the whole regular season plus the playoffs, Yes, NYCFC are worthy of this result. They are worthy of this game. And Taylor, another great reason why I think it made sense for them to win this game was we got to see Ronnie Dylas strip all the way down to his underwear right in front of the NYCFC faithful. This was just bonkers, man. I, I did want to ask you about that one. How was uh, that that experience? Did you know it was coming? Were you prepared for the uh, the strip show that followed? 
Uh, I was prepared, and we were texting a bit about this in our WhatsApp group chat with Graham and Ryan, too. And uh, Graham had mentioned it happening potentially before the game, saying something about how maybe Portland fans were going to get more than they bargained for in this particular post-match. But yeah, you could you could sort of get the feeling that it was coming. I was right next to all the NYCFC away fans, and they started chanting, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. And at that point, I don't think he had any other choice. I think when he joined this team, if I remember correctly, way back when he started to, to be the head coach of NYCFC, he said, if we win silverware, if we win MLS Cup, I'll be doing that. And, and by that, I mean exactly the same thing he did when he was uh, coaching a, a previous stop, stripping all the way down to his underwear to avoid relegation that time. This time it wasn't to avoid relegation, but instead to celebrate winning a, a pretty impressive trophy. Yeah, Ronnie Dyla and NYCFC were the champions, uh, and that was a strange moment for sure. I'm going to assume that the promise of a strip show did sort of motivate the players a little bit. But Joe, <laughs> uh, for you, are there any particular moments this season for NYCFC that stand out as being particularly memorable or maybe important in how they got here? So uh, a signing that you think was particularly smart, a promotion of a of a younger player, any match that you think maybe motivated them, players rising to the occasion, Dyla figuring things out tactically, anything in particular that you think has sort of led to this moment from earlier in the season? There's a couple things, Taylor. You mentioned the roster. NYCFC's roster has been a bit different this year than in years past. They don't have Alex Ring. He's now with Austin FC. They don't have Ronald Matarita, who's now with FC Cincinnati. Those are two key players at the six and left back, respectively, for NYCFC in the past for several years. This year, they don't have those guys, and they've had to have different players step up. They've made good moves in the transfer market to get to to your question there, your statement there about signing. Santi Rodriguez started on the left side of attacking midfield in this game He's brilliant. He has been brilliant, and he didn't have a direct impact on the scoreline in this one, but the combination play that he showed with Maxi Morales in this game and in a bunch of previous games, it's impressive. Then you look at uh, Talis Magno coming off the bench, and he started in uh, he started in a few games earlier on this season at the 9, a little bit on the wing. He's an impact player. Tiago Andrade, who we didn't get to see in this game, but lots of impact signings for this group. And on top of that, you have Ronnie Dyla's decision to play Valentin Castellanos, Tati Castellanos, as a 9, where he's been able to be the best nine in Major League Soccer. So all of those things, coupled with the fact that MLS and NYCFC, we didn't know for sure if this team was going to make the playoffs. They had great underlying numbers in the regular season, but there was a point in time where we weren't sure if this was going to even happen, if what we just experienced, what I just saw in person was ever going to play out, because they were sitting on the outside looking in of that playoff picture with not very many games left to go. They climbed back above that line, get all the way up to the fourth seed and fast forward to now and they're MLS Cup champions. How much credit do you give him, not just for, for winning it tonight, but for some of the adjustments he's had to make? The absence of Keaton Parks is one that, in my mind, yeah. is fairly large. Yeah, Keaton Parks and Anton Tinnerholm, huge misses for this group, right? Keaton Parks is probably the best 6-8 on this roster. I, th- I think he is the best in my mind. And then Anton Tinnerholm is maybe the best right back in all of Major League Soccer. Missing those players, we go back to that Union game for a second. We talked about how how those absences were key for Philadelphia and all the players they were missing. But NYCFC were missing stars in that game too. And they've been missing stars for the last chunk of the regular season and all of the postseason. So the fact that Ronnie Dylas managed to get Tavon Gray to step up and credit to Tavon Gray as a right back who started in every postseason game for NYCFC this year. The fact that he's been able to get enough out of Tavon Gray and to get enough out of that double pivot of James Sands and Alfredo Morales. I don't think any of those players have been spectacular but they've been good enough to complement the real stars on this team. And getting those things to mesh together is not easy, Taylor. All right. 
So we've we've praised NYC uh, NYCFC a little bit. We will continue to praise them as the show goes on. But Joe, I want to rewind to uh, your morning as we prepare for this game. This was your second t- time uh, covering MLS Cup in person. Uh, this one in the Pacific Northwest, your first one all the way over in the Pacific Northwest as well. <laughs> How was the pregame experience and atmosphere today around Providence Park? Uh, any favorite moments for you as you were heading into the game? The pregame atmosphere was phenomenal. And and I, I knew it would be, right, with this crowd, with the Portland market. It was insane to walk up to the stadium, walk up to the media entrance, and I crossed over uh, several different lines of people waiting to get in. This was around 9.30 local time, and the game didn't start till noon. People were ready, and they'd been lined up far before I ever got there. So all of those things, all of those people there contributed to the early atmosphere. And then getting into the stadium, people are starting to trickle in. NYCFC fans are starting to trickle in. It gets busier and busier. I walked through the concourse to try and get a feel for this really cool stadium, Providence Park. You know, and you walk through and it's really narrow. It's an old stadium that's been used for other things in the past. And so you walk through, it's narrow. People are shoulder to shoulder. You're starting to get a feel for what the atmosphere is going to be inside the stadium. Timbers Army is already full on what I think is the north side of the stadium. Then you get a look at the TIFO right before kickoff. And all of those things, man, it was loud. It was filled. It was packed. It was everything that you could have asked for in a game like this, Taylor. And it was, was it an outdoor press box? Because that's one that we don't get as often. It seemed like most people were outside or at least able to experience that atmosphere more than they would be behind a bunch of plexiglass. Yeah, so two separate press areas very close to each other. So one press box, open air, a double, two rows in this, essentially one on the first floor, one down a little uh, a little stairway. So you've got that with open air. And then I was in a different section closer to the actual stands. And that was completely open air with an overhang over top. So that played into the fact that it was so cold, but also really completed this atmosphere, right? I was talking with a few folks last night and we were talking about how how cool it is to be able to experience some of these things without the dampener that plexiglass can be. And I've been in a few press boxes that have that. And it's it's nice in some senses because it protects you from the weather. And on a day like this, that wouldn't have been the worst thing. But I'll take <laughs> cold hands and having a little trouble typing to fully experience something like this. I think a lot of other folks that, that were here to cover this game felt the same way. One more sort of what was your experience question for you. I imagine there's this, the pre-match buildup, everybody's there, the stadium is packed, the atmosphere is ready to go, and then the game was delayed (laughs) due to a college basketball game that went long, the annoying way the final two minutes of a moderately close basketball game ends up taking 30 to 40 minutes, so broadcast delayed, uh, kickoff pushed back. What was that like in the stadium and in the press box as the delay was announced? Was it just sort of like, all right, we're just going to keep doing this for 30 minutes? Did they have ways to kill time? What were you all doing in the press box when that came through, aside from probably mocking basketball for taking too long? <laughs> there was definitely some of that, both in person and on Twitter. The, th- the thing <laughs> is, Taylor, it was a, it was only a 10-minute delay, which is not nothing, but MLS was already going to kick this game off at 12.23 local time. It was advertised as noon, but that was to give... ESPN and ABC, which is where the game was being broadcast in English. This is my understanding, at least. It was to give them that 20-ish minute of pregame. And so it was really not that big of a delay. It's still an inconvenience, still not a great look to have what I think was two-thirds of the, the the pregame show on ABC cut because of that basketball game. It's a tough look for Disney. It's a tough look for ABC and ESPN to not get a longer build into this this game, the most important game in the MLS season every single year. You know it's coming. You could plan for it a little bit better. But Taylor, while all that was happening behind the scenes and with the broadcast and with that, that basketball game, 
we all had the opportunity to watch a, I don't know, 25 foot inflatable MLS cup trophy wheeled into (laughs) being wheeled into the center of the stadium after they had gone through some real trouble to blow this thing up and to actually get it to inflate. It had taken them quite some time. They get out to the middle of the field. It takes maybe 10 people to wheel it out there on this giant stand. And uh, it starts to stand up and then it starts to topple. And then to make things worse, I think there's a hole in it by the end of this whole thing. So all this buildup, we're all cheering. Well, I-, I wasn't cheering because I have, you know, press box decor, but everybody out there is cheering in the stands, hoping this thing's going to stand up. It doesn't. It ends up with a hole in it. And it was, it was kind of sad. There's video. I think Alex posted a video. Alex Adams yeah. posted a video on Twitter. Go watch it if you can, because it was funny and sad all at the same time. And I will say, Joe, credit to you for maybe remaining calm in that moment. But uh, <laughs> you all were in the press box. I'm pretty sure I heard some people screaming. I could definitely hear Sam Stayskull freaking out as that thing uh, had had its sort of drama play out. Oh, so funny. I, I, that was not my favorite moment of, of this game and the yeah. surrounding things related to this game. But, man, it was up there, Taylor. That was just bonkers. I actually, I actually have one more sort of a downer question for you because I'm, I referenced both of us being there uh, in Seattle for Seattle's win, uh, like what two years ago at this point. Yep. Um, we were then able to be in the locker room, be there for the press conferences. Mm. We didn't have the pandemic issues, and so you could uh, be in the Toronto locker room to hear what went wrong and talk to some players. How different was covering the event this time in the midst of the pandemic? What were sort of the limitations to your ability to cover the game? It was a lot different, Taylor. Yeah, it was a lot different than when we when we were both there in 2019. And I assume when, when you've done events like this in the past, no locker room access, uh, no in-person press conferences. So the only in-person, at least in my understanding, the only in-person press availability this week was Thursday and Friday, maybe Wednesday. And those things were really before I got here. I flew in Friday around noon. So I missed all of those press availabilities, which is, which is fine. I don't, I don't know that that's the, the biggest deal in the world, but for the game specifically, yeah, we were on Zoom in the post-match press conferences after it was tricky to, to be able to attend those things. And, and I didn't get a chance to ask questions just because there wasn't a lot of time. So it's, it's a much different world. And I understand a lot of the reasons for those things, right? I appreciate the abundance of caution that MLS put on for an event like this, but still a little bit of a bummer not to get to do some of those things. Hopefully next year, Taylor, if we're both able to be at the 2022 MLS Cup, yeah. we'll be back in the locker rooms, back stepping over, you know, corks and champagne bottles and all of those <laughs> good, all, all of those good things like we had a couple years back. Yeah. A lot of Heineken bottles. I'm yes, guessing. of course. Of uh, course. <laughs> all right. Joe, thank you for helping us and and that part on a uh, more positive note. We will be back to talk about the lineups, the approach, the game itself in just a moment. First, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Welcome back, Joe. Let's talk about the game. Sometimes a championship game can be that spectacle we all want it to be. It can be a shootout and an end-to-end sort of thing. Other times, especially in inclement weather, it's a bit more tense. It's a bit nervier. It's a bit uglier. And I'm saying, bar a few big moments, this was mostly a game in which both teams struggled to settle and play good soccer. That is my sort of basic takeaway. And I think a lot of that was compounded by the way both teams were trying to press and defend and maybe not possess so much and get caught in possession. But I felt like this was a somewhat ugly game. I had a difficult time getting a sense of the flow and the sort of narrative to it. How was it for you in person? Could you kind of understand what was happening a bit more because you can see the whole pitch and what everyone is doing at any given moment? There's parts of that here for sure. Being able to see more of the field is great, especially when it's someone like me who likes to nerd out on the tactical stuff, right? So I got an appreciation for how are Portland defending? How are they using their wingers to maybe add an extra defender to their back four? Are they dropping both of those players back at times to make a back six? And they they did a little bit of that. You get an idea of, okay, where are they trying to leave space? Where are they trying to deforce NYCFC to go? And in this game, it was the wing. So you, you get a picture for those things better in person than you do on a broadcast. And same for NYCFC. How are they building up? What positioning are they using off the ball? It was great to get a chance to see more of those things. Taylor, to go back to your thesis on this game, I generally agree with you. I think there there weren't a lot of really high-quality open-play chances in this game, right? The first goal from NYCFC in the first half comes from a set piece. The second goal that Portland scores to make it 1-1 in second-half stoppage time comes in the aftermath of a set piece of sorts. There's some counter-pressure, and then they get the ball in the box, and Nishkoda takes a shot, and it falls to Felipe Mora, who then scores. It wasn't like these beautiful attacking sequences were leading to a ton of chances, I will say, though, to NYCFC's credit, coming in on the road, dealing with weather, dealing with rain that had started, you know, before I even woke up this morning, dealing with wind and and with all of those things with a little bit of cooler temperatures, they came in and they did try to possess. They came in and they did try to play. And they had some nice moments. Tati Castellanos dropping in a bit. Maxi Morales, Santi Rodriguez combining with each other and with Castellanos. Jesus Medina having a few moments of quality in the box. Some nice switches from deeper in midfield. There were good things happening with NYCFC in possession, just like there were some good things happening with Portland hitting on the break and finding some good moments to go direct with the ball. But none of those things really led to a ton of consistent attacking open play chances. So let's talk about the two teams. Let's start with Portland. Gio Savarese made three changes to the team that beat RSL 2-0. Uh, Paredes got injured, so uh, Foshive started in his place. Blanco returned, had minimal impact. Darren Espria started out wide. That was not a change, but I don't think had as big of an effect as we might have expected. Do you think there were any mistakes to Savarese's lineup? I know we don't want to, like necessarily second guess or go back and say now knowing the way it played out like this would have made so much more sense but in the moment joe did you have any issues with that lineup would say santiago moreno have maybe made more sense starting or were you mostly okay with it i would have liked to see santiago moreno start and i wrote that down even in my notes i have the receipts to prove i guess actually i can't really prove it because my notes app updates every time i type on it so there's really no way to prove that anyway you guys are just gonna have to trust me on this thank you taylor okay that's good to hear i have my notes aspria over moreno question mark you get to bring Moreno off the bench, but I still would have started him. That's that's the direct quote from my notes. And I still feel that way after the game played out. Moreno comes on later in this game. He comes in in the 62nd minute for Sebastian Blanco, who, like you mentioned, Taylor, wasn't all that impactful. He had some nice moments, but didn't do a ton in terms of really affecting the scoreline. Santiago Moreno comes in in that 62nd minute, and he has some good moments. He has some good sequences. 
a little bit of his appearance was marred because he ends up playing right back in extra time in what looked like a bit of a 4-4-2 diamond to me. And that was because of how the subs had played out and just how weird the game became. And so he ended up at right back and didn't have the attacking impact he could have playing higher up the field. But I would have liked to see Moreno start. I love what he brings with that right foot. The, the one thing I'll say is he doesn't bring as much of the defensive energy, even though he ends up playing right back, he doesn't bring as much of the defensive energy likely as Aspria, certainly not as much energy as Jimmy Chara and not as much energy likely as Marvin Loria either. So the fact that Sabarese doesn't start him isn't, it didn't start him. It wasn't a complete shock to me, but, but still, I think you take the catalyst really behind that RSL win and you want him back on the field for a game like this. For NYCFC, Ronnie Dyla has golden boot winner Tati Castellanos back. That ended up working out pretty well for him. Uh, Tor Aronson got the start at left back, but things were mostly as expected on that front, especially with some of the injuries we've already talked about. Uh, were you okay with their approach as well? We'll kind of uh, extend that one too. You had maybe some concerns about Portland. Did you have any concerns about NYCFC or was this mostly what you thought they would look like? Mostly what I thought they would look like. And I, I thought the, the addition from Ronnie Dyla of, of putting Thor Aronson into the lineup over Amundsen was a good choice. Amundsen hadn't been all that effective in the last couple of games, certainly against Philadelphia. I thought he struggled. So getting Thor Aronson on the field, who had been an impact sub at a couple of different moments throughout this season and a starter at times as well, getting him on the field, I thought was, was really smart. And the rest of the personnel picks itself at this point. You don't have a ton of depth at right back. So Tavon Gray is the logical choice there. The center backs, that, that pairing of Maxime you know, and, and Alexander Collins, that's that's maybe the best center back pairing in all of Major League Soccer. Sean Johnson in goal came up huge in the penalty kick shootout. And then all the positions ahead of him do pick themselves. So th- I thought the lineup made a, made a lot of sense for Monty Dyla. The one thing maybe, and I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. The one thing maybe that I would have liked to see is some subs earlier on in this game. The first sub we see from Dyla is in the 80th minute. And it's Ishmael Tajiri Shradi coming on for Santi Rodriguez. And I, I, Doyle was tweeting a bit about this, Matt Doyle about how if NYCFC had had maybe a bit more speed out wide, Medina and Santi Rodriguez, neither one of those guys are blistering in their pace. If if they had, I don't know, Tyus Magno on the field, if they had Tiago Andrade on the field, maybe they're able to take advantage of Portland's desperation in the latter stages of this game and, and really put it away. I don't know if it would have made the difference, but that was one thing that could have in another reality come back to bite NYCFC. It just didn't, and that's good for them. So Joe, in terms of how we want to talk about the way this game played out, I think Part of the reason why I sort of laid out my feeling that it was a a somewhat disjointed, like difficult to track style of game is because I have a ton of notes. But oftentimes when I'm taking notes and I color color code based on the teams, like you can sort of get an idea of like, oh, they're moving here. They're adjusting this. They're changing this formation. Oh, this player is doing this in a way we didn't expect them to. This player is tracking this player. And you can, as I said, start to build this narrative. And most of my notes are sort of individual moments, and a lot of them Hmm. are like chippy foul, chippy moment, chippy incident, uh, getting into it, miscontrol pass. Like there's, there are sort of those moments, and I think that's where my takeaway is that it it was more of a we don't want to make mistakes given the like momentous occasion, but also the inclement weather and the kind of pressurized situation. And so I felt like there were more giveaways and sort of errant passes and at times more conservative passing that's where that's why at least in the 25th minute i think it was or thereabouts i messaged you to ask like which manager do you think is happier with the start of this game and added it's okay for you to say that both are pretty happy and i believe that was what you went with so why did you feel like both managers were okay with the way things were playing out in those first 25 to 30 minutes 
I felt like Savarese and Dilo were both pretty happy because you could see both of their game plans out there on the field. We'll start with Portland here. You could see their 4-4-2 block. You could see them shifting. And I mentioned this earlier. You could see them funneling the ball out wide, which is exactly what you want to do when you play NYCFC. And we talked about this a little bit with, with Jordan Taylor last week. You know, when, when you're going up against this NYCFC team, they have so much talent in central areas. They have so much ability there with Santi Rodriguez and Maxi Morales and Tati Castellanos and, and even Medina at times. They have so much talent in those spaces. You want to have numbers to match that, right? You want to have numbers to outnumber them in those spaces. And Portland did that. NYCFC still had success in those central areas, but, but by and large, Portland were funneling the ball out wide because you can live with that, right? You can live with Zuperich and Mabiala heading balls away. And, and that happened a few times where NYCFC didn't have a lot of other options other than to, to cross that ball into the box or just to recycle possession. So for that reason, I think Savarese could be fairly pleased with the first 25, 30 minutes. And for NYCFC, they were controlling the ball. They were counterpressing. There's a good moment in the first, I don't know, five, ten minutes, I believe, where Alfredo Morales has this great counterpressing sequence. And it leads to a moment of danger for NYCFC. There's other moments where they're combining, where they're getting forward in transition, where they're actually using the ball quite well. I think those things lead to Ronnie Dyla being happy. And neither manager was going to be thrilled, right? Because neither one was was truly outplaying the other. But the building blocks for how these team how these teams wanted to play. They were there from the start of this game, and I think that's an encouraging thing as a manager to see the work that you put in as a group playing out on the field. Now, that the difference maker would have been some real game-changing moment in those first 25-30 minutes. That didn't come to a little bit later on, but overall, that the opening stages represented what these teams wanted to do. We did get that sort of game-changing moment in the 41st minute. Uh, the goal from Castellanos, it's 1-0 to NYCFC. Uh, how much did the air come out of that stadium in that goal, <laughs> oh. doesn't Joe? Oh my goodness. The air, the, the, the atmosphere changed completely and it changed because it gave NYCFC fans something to cheer about. And credit to that traveling contingent, man. They were loud. Mm-hmm. There were, I think a couple thousand of them. They were in a section or two right next to me, as I said earlier. They were loud. They did a great job of trying to compete with the, I don't know, 23,000 Portland fans that were in the building. So it, <laughs> it changed everything in that moment. And everyone was a little bit surprised that it happens. It comes off a set piece. And I think when, mm-hmm. when you see a set piece, you're simultaneously expecting, okay, maybe this could go. Maybe this could turn into something. But deep down, we all know that it's pretty unlikely for that to happen. And so when it happens, there's this moment of surprise and there's this moment where everyone's realizing what just happened and how big of a moment it really is. The header from Tati Castellanos is mm-hmm. massive. It comes off his head yep. so hard. He'd get so much power on it to get it down towards the goal line. And Steve Clark gets a hand or two hands to it. He can't fully parry it wide. There's a little bit of blame, I think, to go towards Steve Clark in that moment. In addition to some other players, Taylor, I'll let you talk about yeah. that. But yeah, th- that moment changed everything in that first half, especially given how close it was to halftime. The goal comes in the 41st minute. That changes the game. It changes Portland's game plan, and it turns this whole thing on its head. It does, and I would say the goal itself does. I would say the sequence before that leads to the free kick, also important here, because Joe, uh, to your point, Portland trying to funnel NYCFC out wide, don't want to give them sort of opportunities or clear opportunities through the middle. And the other thing they don't want to do is give up space for an attacker or for an opponent to drive into. And then, as we've talked about many times on this show, when there's a player who sort of gets unmarked or beats somebody and now they're going at your goal, if you're a defender who's marking a player and no one is marking that player who's on the ball, you've got to step to them, but then you're leaving somebody. And it can be this sort of domino effect from there. And I think... To some extent, I, I'm inclined to believe that Bravo, who concedes this this foul, yeah. is aware that he's basically getting turned by Gray, 
doesn't want to let Gray then go kind of uncontested towards the middle of the pitch and have somebody have to pull out and maybe there can be a ball in or a little pass in, into the box and who knows what's going to happen. So I'm just going to take him down. And I think that is understandable. But at the same time, I think Bravo had previously had the ball and gave it away. And I think that was kind of par for the course for Portland. Trying to play out quickly, they tended to give the ball right back to NYCFC. And that allows for that sort of counter to the counter, and then you have to foul, and then it's a free kick, and I think they sort of hurt themselves there. The reason why I'm spending so much time talking about how the foul was conceded is because, to me, there's almost more to talk about there, because... I saw Twelman refer to it as like, oh, there must have been a pick. I want to see what the screen was. There's a lot of speculation online about it was a design set piece and it was all structured to get Castellanos open. And maybe it was, but watching it as many times as I did, I just basically saw blown coverage and nobody marking the MLS Golden Boot winner. I find that tough to believe, but I keep watching it and that's what I keep seeing. Joe, have you had a chance to look back at this goal? I have. And Taylor, I agree with you, man. And it's right. interesting. And I, I want to steal your thunder here. But uh, fast forwarding a little bit later in this game, Portland has a very similar moment, not in not in terms of the positioning of the free kick or in terms of the defensive style or anything like that, but a moment where their best goal scorer is just left wide open in the box. And so to, to support your theory there of this just being a mistake. I think this this happens in a games like this. It happens in, in every game where there's a breakdown in defensive set piece marking. Felipe Mora was left wide open by Alexander yeah. Kynes and Maxime Cheneau in the second half. And that could have been the equalizer before he actually does get the equalizer in stoppage time. So this stuff happens. And I think that's exactly what happened on this goal. Yeah. And, and it really, uh, from my mind watching it, it was uh, you had... Portland sort of line up in their defensive line as you would expect them to. And I saw uh, Zuparic, the center back. He was the one who initially had Castellanos. Then uh, Collins comes into into his sort of space. Zuparic goes to Collins and passes on Castellanos to Bravo, who's now at the back post, so he concedes the free kick. And then he does not track Castellanos on this one. And maybe he's just not aware that that's his assignment. Maybe he's not really paying attention and doesn't know that the ball has been delivered. Maybe he thinks Maxi Morales is going to need to be substituted because he had been limping, and it did seem like he was going to be. He did not. Instead, he plays in this perfect ball to the back post where Castellanos is completely wide open, completely unmarked, and it's basically just he gets goal side and then no one ever gets to him. And in that way, I have some sympathy for Steve Clark because I have to believe as you're tracking the flight of that that ball, you're sort of covering the middle of the, the the goal. The cross comes in. You start to shuffle over, and suddenly there's Castellanos completely unmarked. And I can imagine you would be a little bit concerned. Castellanos gets the power behind it, gets it down. As we as we know, you always want to get the header down because that makes it much more likely to get on frame. It also means the goalkeeper has to get down and get their body behind it because if they don't, then they might not get hands to it the way they need to. And that is exactly how that went down. Uh, 1-0 to NYCFC. Uh, fan throws a beer can. Shame on that fan. Immediately, uh, uh, other Portland fans, I think, turned that, that person in. They were ejected and will probably be banned for the rest of their life. So yeah, they uh, are. way to yeah. throw that beer can. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to kind of regret that one. Joe, anything else to add uh, from uh, NYCFC's uh, like, go-ahead goal? The only other thing I'll add is one more beat on Tati Castellanos. I believe, mm. I checked this after he scored. I think it's right. I believe that was his sixth headed goal of the season, which is a, a sizable chunk of his goal tally. And more than that, it's one of the five best, uh, five best tallies in MLS in terms of headed goals. He's a monster in the air. He's had a couple of other really dangerous moments with his head in the postseason, plenty in the regular season as well. That's another facet of his game that maybe doesn't get talked about as much by me, if, if by no one else. He 
he's a threat in the air in addition to being able to link play, in addition to pressing. He's this complete nine. And to be honest, Taylor, as I, I was watching and sitting in on that press conference virtually after the game, he was speaking. And I almost wonder if this is the last we're going to see of Tati Castellanos in Major League Soccer. I don't think one way or the other he's much longer. He's, he's going to be in Major League Soccer much longer. Uh, I do feel like this goal, first of all, I will be sad to see him go. Second of all, though, I will say this goal was very much the unstoppable force meeting the, I don't know, like refusing to concede objects because (laughs) prior to this one, I think Portland had not conceded uh, from a set piece in 20 games that goes back to their 6-2 loss to Seattle. Castellanos, for his part, I think this was his ninth goal in his last seven games. So it's sort of the man who can't stop scoring and is very good in the air coming up against a defense that does not concede set piece goals. And it ends up being Castellanos getting the goal, Portland conceding. It felt like it was going to require a pretty big response from Portland in that second half. And they do eventually get one. We'll talk about that and many other things in the final segment of today's show. First, one more break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. When last we left you, uh, NYCFC had just gone ahead 1-0. We go into halftime. We come out of halftime. That's how these things work. Uh, I think Don Garber talks about Las Vegas and many other things at halftime. We don't need to talk about that. What we will talk about, Joe, or what I will ask you, what were your, maybe not expectations, but what did you see in those opening sort of 10 minutes in the second half when we tend to see managers having had their time to make the team talk, get some things right, figure some things out. And oftentimes we'll see they they give their players 10 to 15 minutes to have an impact and then maybe they start making changes. Did you see any obvious adjustments? Did you see any obvious changes from either manager to start that second half? To be honest, no, Taylor. And this goes back to something we talked about earlier, right? With both coaches having their game plans out there on the field, right? The second half starts and NYCFC have the majority of the ball, but they're also okay to sit a little bit deeper. And that was a trend we saw towards the end of the second, uh, towards the end of the first half, excuse me, maybe the last 15 minutes of that first half. NYCFC spending a little bit more time in a 4-4-2-4-4-1-1 block and letting Portland possess. But NYCFC still getting plenty of possession in the first five, 10 minutes of the second half. Portland mostly attacking on the break, mostly in that 4-4-2 shape, but also getting a little bit of possession. And as the second half wore on, the tide, I don't feel like really ever truly turned in this game. There's moments where NYCFC are in good spots, and Portland too, right to their credit. They had chances, and they ended this game really with with more chances than uh, than NYCFC did. But there's moments in the second half where there's a New York attacker running towards goal, and it's Diego Chara having to put on his 20-year-old mask and go down and, and tackle the ball away to save his team, right? The same thing we've been seeing for the last X number of years now. He's incredible. Watching watching Chara in person, Taylor, I know I'm kind of on a tangent now, was insane. It felt like exactly what watching Tyler Adams in person is. He's that type of player that's just everywhere all the time. He's incredible. For 35, he's downright incredible. For 25, he'd be incredible with his mobility out there. But in the second half, New York City are still generally controlling the game. I wrote down in my notes, Portland struggling to wrestle the game away from NYCFC even in the last 20 minutes while down a goal. And at that point, that was pretty damning for Portland. I thought they were not really getting back into this. They weren't 
grabbing the game. They didn't seize the ball. They weren't really trying to use it to create chances or apply a ton of pressure. I was concerned for them. I was concerned for all of these fans watching their team play and, and watching the clock tick towards the end of this game and towards the end of regulation. And then the tide starts to change a little bit. And really, the big moment for that is Steve Clark coming forward on a corner, getting the ball, getting an actual really nice pass towards the right wing, and then that leading to a sequence where Portland get the ball in the box and they they luck out a little bit with a nice strike from Felipe Mora. This game never really truly turned to me watching from here. Taylor, did you feel like the tides had changed at some point, or were you maybe just as surprised by that stoppage time goal as I was? I was very surprised. It, it it felt as though I mean I think I had tweeted like ten minutes before the the meme of Jim Halpert when he becomes the boss in the office calling Michael Scott to say like you got to do something, man, because it did not feel like Portland were really changing it up. There was speculation in the broadcast that they would go to a back three, they would start throwing numbers forward, and they do eventually do that. But it, it just it felt like. NYCFC were never uncomfortable or never made to feel uncomfortable and were sort of able to keep doing what they needed to. And I think with the game, it's not as though it went from being sort of scrappy and a little bit chippy in the first half to being free-flowing and great possession in the second. It was kind of more of the same. And I think with a 1-0 lead, that suited New York. I think it ended up just being sort of chaos in the box and Portland fighting to make something happen. Credit to Jimmy Chara for the the kind of reverse header back across that I think keeps this play alive. There is the question of whether or not there was a foul. Mark Clattenburg uh, said very plainly that it should have been a foul. Stu Holden agreed on Twitter. I think lots of people feeling like there should have been a foul. Certainly Cheneau felt like there should have been a foul, but it wasn't given. I think the counterpoint to that was, come on, it's like uh, MLS Cup final, the final minute. You got to let some things go. I'm not sure I buy that entirely. And I understand then, or would have understood why NYCFC maybe could have been a bit fragile, a little bit all over the place, and conceded something in extra time. Oftentimes of late, we've talked about this, it's the Graham Ruffin doctrine, that if two teams go to extra time, it feels more often than not that we are just destined for penalties. But because of the way New York conceded that one and just how upset everyone was on the field, but then also how Portland had had started to gamble and roll the dice and kind of change things up and put people in experimental positions so they could be more attacking... And then there's this question of you've got this Portland team that are a little bit makeshift because of the adjustments to get that goal. Now they've got to figure out how to keep playing and not concede one and ideally get one. You've got New York who are understandably rattled and frustrated and were moments away from winning and now feel like, uh-oh, oh, this might man. be slipping away. The refs are against us. I did not know what to expect as, as we went into extra time. I really did think we'd get some more drama. I thought we might get a red card or a second yellow or there might be a goal or just some dramatic moments. And instead, it felt like we were sort of destined for penalties after we had played the first maybe 10 minutes of extra time. Joe, did you feel anything different or were you sort of preparing for penalties as well? I was preparing for penalties and I live yeah. by that Graham Ruffin doctrine. That's, that's one of the tenets of my soccer watching life, right? Extra time soccer is generally not the best soccer. And I think that was true again here today at Providence Park. But Taylor, to go back to the, the scenes after that goal, first mm -hmm. of all, I was never expecting that to happen. And second of all, the atmosphere, again, you asked me about that earlier. It, it changed completely in that moment. It was the last kick of the game deep in second half stoppage time, right around the, the, the end of that fourth minute. And the fact that Portland get that goal was huge. And Ronnie Dyla talked about that in his post-match press conference. It's a hard thing to come back from as a group, right? Imagine, Taylor, you're like, you're like 10 seconds away. You're 10 seconds away from lifting MLS Cup. 
And then all of a sudden you have to question everything and wonder, are we even going to be able to fight back from this? What if we go to penalties? What if we lose in penalties? What if we, what if we concede an extra time? That completely changed this game and, and the, the atmosphere at the stadium changed as well. Portland fans and getting to be here to see them celebrate a goal was so, so cool. For a second, I thought as Chano was over talking with, uh, with one of the assistant referees, for a second, I thought things were going to extra time because I wasn't super sure of the timing of that goal and I had to go back and watch it to see exactly where it was in stoppage time. I thought that maybe there's going to be VAR involved here and then it just took me a few seconds to realize, oh no, everyone's just walking off the field. We're going to extra time. Everything changed so quickly. And then, yeah, a few minutes into extra time, you sort of realize where this game is yeah. headed and that's exactly where it went. Yeah, it felt it felt pretty much to me. I think my second to last note from the first 120 minutes of this game was the one where Valeri winds up, his shot is deflected over. And it felt like if there was going to be a winner, a dramatic winner at that, it was that moment. Valeri comes on very late. Maybe he ends up getting that goal. And that's the way we sort of call time on his Timbers career. It was not meant to be. And so we go to penalties. Uh, And Joe, how different is it for you in person? Like, forgive me for continuing to go back to this. No, that's fine. I'm not sure I've seen a a penalty shootout, especially one in a championship game in person. Like, are there little things you notice or is it pretty much the same as if you're watching it on television? It's it's very similar. The one thing maybe you get a bit more of is watching the teammates' reactions and watching mm-hmm. those lines that tend to be close to midfield. It's, it's, it's nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen a few of these penalty kick shootouts in person covering games. And so I'm not really emotionally invested in either team when I'm going to cover games like this, but it's still nerve wracking. So you get, you get to see more of the teammates reactions. You get to be a part of, of the audience. It's, it's a show, right? You get to be a part of the, the in-person spectator group for a moment like that. And where I was sitting, you know, I'm in between, I mentioned being close to NYCFC fans, but you're, you're sort of in between them and the rest of the fan population, which is all Portland fans. And so getting to see the back and forth of NYCFC fans celebrating when Tati Castellanos hits his per- hits his penalty past Steve Clark, and then them continuing to celebrate when Sean Johnson saves Felipe Mora's penalty. And then it just goes back and forth. Portland fans feeling a, l- a little bit of life when they start to get back into that shootout and finally get one past Sean Johnson. It was Santiago Moreno who gets his and, and finally gets Portland on the board. That's a different experience as well. And I, in a way, I was, I was really yeah. excited to be that close to those passionate fans because you definitely don't get that. I don't get that watching games from home. A couple observations from me, uh, who was watching from home. Uh, Moreno, as you mentioned, it does hit his for Portland. He is the third taker for Portland before that Mora and Valeri, sadly, missed yeah. theirs. Moreno, as he walks up, he looked not happy to be taking a penalty <laughs> in a moment that he needed to score. I thought I would have bet on him missing. It seemed like he was really nervous, and then he buried that one. He did. So credit to him. But most of my interest in the shootout is with uh, New York City. And what I saw, maybe this is, I mean, I've watched it twice now, the shootout. And my takeaway is I think Steve Clark was, I'm sure they had a ton of research and I think probably would have watched uh, New York's uh, shootout against the revolution. But I felt like Steve Clark was guessing based on what the taker was doing in their run-up and as they were hitting the ball. And especially for that first one from Castellanos, you can watch Steve Clark wait, and after the shot has been, ball has been struck, is when he dives. And he does Mm. end up guessing the right way, but I think was sort of reacting to what Castellanos was doing, and definitely doing that for Alfredo Morales, whose penalty he then saves. It was definitely him reading and then diving the right way, but I think a little bit after the ball is already struck, but Morales doesn't get a ton of power behind it. He does go the opposite way of the way he went against the Revs, 
but Clark is able to make that save. And I think after that moment, your next three takers for New York all crush their penalty. Yeah. And I think there is a moment, momentary awareness of he is trying to read us and react to it. If we hit the ball as hard as we can and he is playing reactionary goalkeeper, he is not going to be nearly as likely to make a save. And from that point on, they do not miss and they look pretty likely to score all three of theirs. Uh, like looking back, there's, there's a hand to it. I think at one point, Steve Clark maybe could have, uh, saved. I think it was uh, uh, Tyus Magnus. Uh, maybe could have been saved, but that one aside, even there, there's a ton of power behind it. Certainly Collins at the end just bashing oh, that one. I think they oh. went for power over placement. Oh, my gosh. I saw Ryan tweet. I think it was Ryan tweet, you know, can yeah. we call this the anti-Panenka? Because yes. it goes down the middle, but it's the exact opposite of a chip. He hits that ball so, so hard. And it, it, I like that it was Alexander Kynes in that moment because – He's a player that I picked as an X factor in this game, a player I was excited to watch. I thought he was going to have a lot of impact on the ball. And genuinely, I don't think he had a lot of impact in possession. Defensively, I thought both he and Chino were pretty darn good in this game, and they had a lot of key moments, maybe Chino in particular. But I wanted to see Kyans have more of an impact, and it just came in a way that I didn't expect, in a way that I don't think anybody really could have expected. That penalty, and, and really the penalties of a lot of these NYCFC takers, the only player who had their penalty saved for New York City was Alfredo Morales. Yep. I mean, they hit them hard. They hit them in good yep. spots. Just you can't really ask for a lot more between the takers and between Sean Johnson's work defensively, the captain of this team making multiple saves in a shootout. These are these are big moments, and those are the moments that win you championships. On the flip side, I thought Felipe Mora's penalty was very well placed, not a ton of power behind it. I thought Diego Valeri's penalty was well placed and well struck. I think it's just massive credit to Sean Johnson for getting down and making those saves. And that ends up being the difference. Even though Moreno and Paredes are able to score, uh, New York get the penalties they need to. But massive credit to Sean Johnson, who I believe was awarded MVP. Is that correct, Joe? Yes, yes. And the burning question then becomes, did you vote for Sean Johnson or did you have another candidate for MVP? So fun fact, little peel behind the curtain here. The the Uh short answer is no. The long answer that I'm going to make an excuse for myself is... The initial MVP voting closed at 70 minutes. And so I voted for Castellanos, the game-winning goal. Yep. I thought he had a ton of other meaningful actions in other areas. Then they extended it to the, the 110th minute in extra time, and I just never voted again because I didn't have time and I didn't think about <laughs> it. So technically, my vote went down for Castellanos. It could have changed it. Ultimately, I still feel pretty good about that. It should have been Sean Johnson, maybe even should have been Diego Chara. Certainly would have been if Portland had won this game. But uh, yeah, I was not among the, the Sean Johnson voters in this one. Well, I'm sure he will hold that against you, as will New York fans. Maybe you can re- <laughs> redeem yourself with this one, Joe. Uh, we, I believe, have like the start of preseason in maybe two months or thereabouts. Basically, MLS kicks back off in the not-too-distant future. Which of these teams do you think is best positioned to be back here next season? If you had to pick one, who do you think might be making that deep run in the playoffs this time in 2022? Maybe not this time. I don't it's know how it's working with with uh, the World Cup at the same time. But either way, right, who's making right. it into the playoffs it'll and making be, that run? It'll be earlier next year for sure. I think this whole thing will be taking place in November instead of December. It's NYCFC for me, Taylor. It really is. With the work that they put in and the numbers that they put up this season, both attacking-wise and defensively, this is a strong team with with 
maybe the most important part being their depth. And we talked about Anton Tinnerholm being out. We talked about Keaton Parks being out. Acevedo as well. We didn't mention his name. He was on the bench for this game and, and didn't need to factor in. But they've been missing key pieces, and you can still see how much talent they have, even without those guys. Ebert, just now coming back from an ACL injury, really phenomenal number nine, just not needed for this team this year. Not a necessary part. He had to start against Philly. But beyond that, Tati Castellanos has been the guy for this team. Between the depth, between how they've built their roster, the money they've spent, Tyus Magno, multi-million dollar player coming from Brazil. Diago Andrade, another really talented Brazilian player. Ishmael Tajuri Shradi has been on this team for a while, but he's a great depth piece that MLS teams would kill for. There's so much talent in this team between that and Ronnie Dyla's ability as a manager. The front office's proven quality now, some homegrowns coming in. I know NYCFC fans have some frustrations about their team and about the front office at times and, and mostly about the stadium situation, which is still unresolved. But if you set all those things aside and just look at what we've seen on the field, NYCFC have a good of as, as good of a chance as anybody of being back in this position next year, probably a better chance than 95% of the league. What then is the situation in your mind for the Timbers? Uh, the oldest ever team to start an MLS Cup, an average age of 31 years. I would assume both Charas will continue to be around. Uh, but are there other players you think they should sort of focus on when they're building for next season? Are there any other players that you think maybe can be thanked for their efforts and then uh, replaced <laughs> in the offseason? So I'll, I'll hit on the which players should they build upon first while mm-hmm. I sort of stall for time to think about players that maybe I don't think should be like involved it. as much. Santiago Moreno is a guy that I think could be huge for this team. He has deficiencies in his game. He doesn't do a ton of defensive running. He doesn't do a ton of moving off the ball. Those things are things that he can work on during the offseason to work on as he gets more minutes next season. I think he should be a starter next year for this team. He hasn't played a lot. I think he's played maybe 700 minutes over the course of the regular season and postseason for for Portland this year after coming in midseason. He's a guy who I would expect to be much more involved next year and I think should be a starter for this team. As far as maybe players that don't need to be involved, the fullbacks had some good moments this year, some questionable performances as well, though, especially defensively. Claudio Bravo and Jose Carlos Van Rankin at left back and right back, respectively. I assume those players are still under contract for next season because they were just brought in for this year. So I'm guessing the length of that contract is at least in Portland's control. I think we'll see more of them going forward. I think they'll they'll continue to have a role here, but an elevated performance from those players, especially defensively and for whoever's in those spots would be key. Dyron Espria is another player I think needs to be better. I know he scored double digit goals this year for the first time in his MLS career, but vastly overperforms his expected goals. I'm not sure his production is sustainable. So there are certainly questions around this Timbers team, but man, there's talent here too, Taylor. Felipe Mora is one of the best nines in Major League Soccer. Steve Clark, a really strong shot stopper, even if he didn't show it on that goal in this game. Sebastian Blanco, the Charas, there's talent here. If they're able to retain that core, coupled with some new additions and coupled with, with maybe a breakout year from Santiago Moreno, they should still feel pretty good about themselves headed into 2022 as well. All right, Joe, you ready to speculate wildly? Because I've got oh, another yeah. team to ask you about. <laughs> a fan base that I'm going to assume was especially displeased with the way this went down. Would I know be where this is going. Red Bull fan base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who I think have been told for a while, like, we're building, you got to bring through young players. It can't just be about buying DPs and sort of making something happen quickly. And yet here we are with NYCFC uh, winning MLS Cup before the Red Bulls. Do you 
suspect or do you think or do you hope that this has an impact in the way the Red Bulls approach the offseason and the start of next season? Do you think we'll see them do anything differently because their crosstown rivals or mm-hmm. cross-city rivals have found a way to win? Or do you think it will be sort of more of the same uh, stay the course, stay to the ship, that sort of thinking? Might have to expand that even to cross state rivals, given yeah. them in Jersey, New yeah. York. I know I just made some people angry. I'm sorry. And I don't mean it. I, you guys are going through enough right now, Red Bulls fans. Uh, I don't think this game in, in NYCFC lifting MLS Cup will have a direct impact on the Red Bulls. More so, what, what I think will have an impact is just the direction Major League Soccer is going and the importance of building depth in a way that I just am not sure the, the Red Bulls have right now. You compare the two squads. Is there talent with the Red Bulls? Of course. Is there young talent there? Is there, there's some more established guys as well? Yeah, they have a nice mix of those things, but the overall level is not the same. They need some attacking quality. There, there's other positions I think that can be boosted there too. Getting Aaron Long back next season will be huge for them. And that's, that's essentially like getting a really, really good top 5% MLS center back just back off the transfer market. So that's going to be big for them. And I, I think they will do fine next year, but more than just NYCFC's su- success is you need to spend money to succeed in Major League Soccer, or at least you need to spend wisely. You don't need to drop a ton of cash, but you need to find the right guys to fit your system. And I think year two under Gerhard Struber, they're going to have a bit more success, or at least they're going to have more consistent success in 2022. Final question for me for the evening, Joe. We have talked at least a couple times lately on Total Soccer Show about should the final be at a neutral venue hmm. or should it be at the kind of higher seeds home stadium? I've sort of gone back and forth on this one. I think I've leaned towards I like the idea of trying a neutral venue to see how it goes. I'm wondering, based on tonight and the atmosphere oh, in Portland, Taylor. are you now fully in favor of it being the higher seed? That is such a good question. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit swayed back towards the yep. home field. I mean, does it make things harder? Of course. And I, and I don't know that I, I'm fully all aboard the, the home team gets the, the, the actual MLS Cup game train. But I certainly feel more compelled along that line of thinking now than I did before having this atmosphere. And I know Portland's unique, right? I know Providence Park is unique. Even the atmosphere here was was different and frankly better than the atmosphere in Seattle, which was already ridiculously good right back when we went in 2019. Mm-hmm. Getting to be here for something something like this and even just seeing it on the broadcast, right? As I'm watching this game, I'm also watching along on on the ESPN app, on Watch ESPN essentially. So I'm looking at what the folks at home are seeing too. It came across really well in, in the visuals and some of the audio too. The atmosphere is insane. And if MLS can get this type of atmosphere for every MLS cup, then yeah, it should be at all of these home venues every single year. Can they actually do that? I kind of doubt it, but I mean, for now, I liked it a lot, Taylor. And to be honest, I'd, I'd want to see this again next year. Uh, and for you Seattle fans who have Twitter accounts, that was Joe Lowry saying that Portland has a better atmosphere than Seattle. Also, Joe Lowry <laughs> criticizing New York for playing in New Jersey. Joe, you're making a lot of friends tonight is what I'm hearing. Oh, Taylor, you're doing me dirty right now. No, I, I deserve that. I really do. At Josie Lowry on Twitter. The Rebels have already given me enough heat from their, their social media account, like the team's account. I guess some fans from, from New York, New Jersey, and Seattle piling on that pile that already exists is pretty fair at this point. Joe, I'm confused though. I thought you changed your, your Twitter handle to at Ryan J. Bailey. Oh, so if people want to be mad yes. at Joe, 
Ryan yes. J-A-Y Bailey, I believe it is. Uh, that's I Joe's totally forgot. Taylor, thank you so much for, see, this is why, this is why we yeah. work so well together. You keep me honest. You help me remember even when I forget. Yes, at Ryan J. Bailey <laughs> or at Graham Ruffin on Twitter. Either one of those will do yeah. just fine. Yeah, either one. All of them operated by Joe. <laughs> Joe, uh, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk oh. this one out with me. I have enjoyed it. I'm going to assume that you have enjoyed your time in Portland. Anything else to add before we call this one quits? Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget watching Ronnie Dylas strip and do push-ups. I don't go. think I'll ever forget this game in this atmosphere. Taylor, thank you for sending me out here to do this and to be able to have this conversation with you. It's been a blast, man. Yeah, man. I'm glad you're there. I look forward to covering uh, the next one in person together and maybe some games uh, in between as well. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for all your time. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We will talk to you all again very soon. Congratulations, NYCFC and all your fans. Commiserations, Portland. And uh, if you want to take out your frustration again, Ryan J. Bailey, Graham Ruffin on Twitter. They've got you. We'll talk to you again soon.